It's time for another episode of Drew Droge's Minor Revelations. Okay, so we have a, a, a super stuffed long show today. I promise you it's great. We just really got into it. Uh, I record my intros after I've recorded my my uh, my whole bits with with my two guests, So, um, which I also talk about a little bit in the thing. Um, so anyway, so I'm going to make this brief, but I just want to say a friend of mine uh, just shared with me uh, a clip of one of my favorite movies, and I wanted to just do a shout out to uh, one of my favorite actors. But um, first of all, I just want to tell a story. Um, I what started my first interaction with her, um, with this with this actor. Uh, in 2002, I went to Sundance with a group of friends. We had no project. We were waiters. We had no money. I don't know how it happened even that, that a friend was like, let's go to Sundance and let's just do that. We didn't know anybody. We were certainly not there with a the film. We didn't know what parties to get into. We didn't know have any end to get tickets. We just went to Sundance. Um, and I ended up randomly getting to see so many movies, which when I went in 2013 and I had a little part in a movie there, I couldn't get into almost anything. I think it's just gotten a lot harder or I was just young and stupid in 02 when I went. I just walked. And so I got to see like Secretary and um, a lot of other things that kind of didn't ever come out or, or get to see, but I was like, I felt so into it and, uh, you know, sophisticated because I'd been to Sundance, but I didn't see anybody. Like, I didn't see any actors there. We went to a lot of really weird late night parties, but there weren't, there was not a single recognizable actor, celebrity, anybody there. Everybody was talking a big game. There was just a lot of cocaine and cheap beer happening, but nobody was like actually like in the middle of doing anything. Uh, <laughs> I call that my 20s. Um, so I just wasn't expecting to see anybody though on the way home, you had to take a shuttle from Park City to Salt Lake City, which is an hour long shuttle. Um, cause you know, only the very, uh, hoodiest of hoodiest fly into Park City. You fly into Salt Lake and you take an hour long shuttle with a bunch of other people and wind through the snowy mountains until you finally get to Park City. So on the way back, we we had a shuttle. The shuttle was late. It was snowing. It was we were huddled in. It was just we were so I'm sure I was hungover. It was early in the morning. I was nervous about getting on my flight. And we 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 get in the van and there's a woman monologuing in the van non-stop about every little thought that danced into her head. And it was just like, oh, that's a gorgeous yellow. It's a canary yellow. I love canary yellow. Do you like canary yellow? I'm sure they call it canary yellow based after the canary. The bird, the prettiest sound of any bird is the canary. Is it, are there red canaries? I think there are red canaries. I mean, it was just stream of conscious. I was like, who is this woman and why is she babbling every uh, you know molecule that has like trickled across her uh, you know her her thought process and 
Um, I, we had to hear that her daughter's smoking a lot of pot and she doesn't know what she's doing. And then um, at one point, she's next to me and, and, and she asks if she can lean on me. She's like, can I lean on you? And I was like, okay. So she sleeps on my shoulder and then wakes up and it's like really disoriented and upset that like she doesn't know where, like, because we get to the airport and she's like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what air, airline I'm on and blah, blah, blah. And we were like, oh, and then she's like, where are you guys going? And we're like, we're going to Burbank. And she's like, I'm going with you. Um, so she was with us and it was just, we had to go through security and it was like, we had to stop in the kiosk and she had to get her ticket. And it was just like this constant. I was like, I have inherited this woman for the rest of my life. There's just no way of getting her away from her. And it was like, and she was lovely, but it was just so many steps of so many things and security. And she didn't know that you had to take your shoes off and all this stuff. And this is right after 9-11, so you better believe you had to take your shoes off. And so we finally get to the gate and she's and we finally get there and 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 we're like worried about getting on, you know the flight on time and finally the the gate agent was like talking to her and she's like I have a special meal and so they over the the speaker the or I mean over the little like the the headset the gate agent just said oh, we have a special meal for Karen Black and I was like I have been with Karen Black all day Oh my God, this severely changes things. I love Karen Black. I, of course, that's Karen Black. I had no idea that I'd been with Karen Black all day. Um, and I, because uh, you know, I wasn't expecting to see anybody or I just, you know, I, you know, um, she was so incredibly, perfectly, exactly how you wanted Karen Black. And a friend of mine showed me the scene from Trilogy of Terror. And she was in all... It was, Trilogy of Terror was a, was a TV movie in the 70s. If you haven't seen it, you must. And everyone... The, it's three different short films. And she's in all three of them. She plays four characters in three films. Because in one film, she plays twins. But no one really remembers or cares about the first two films because they're not that great. But the third one is the one that everybody talks about because that's the one with the Zuni fetish doll. It is so amazing. I watched it last night. You simply must. It, it is the most insane reality for this woman who basically buys a, a horrible looking doll that she insults openly to its face. Then gets on this really convoluted conversation with her mother at the beginning and explains the rules of the doll. She's reading a scroll of all the things the doll has. And if the doll loses its gold belt, if it falls off, then it will, you know, then there's this spirit inside of it that wants to, it's a, it's a hunting fetish doll. And so she explains all of that to you. Then she hangs up the phone. Her mother's horrible to her and just hangs up on her, just gets bored, hangs up on her. The belt inexplicably falls off this doll, of course, and then the doll terrorizes her. And somehow this tiny little doll can open doors, can stab through like long distances, can throw its spear across a room, can do all kinds of insane things. It jumps up and bites her on the neck. At one point, she holds herself up in her uh in her room and she calls 911 and then she at one point she goes I don't know where I'm located so she doesn't know her own address in that moment I don't know why she says I don't know why where I'm located but um, what a perfect reality for Karen Black to always be in because I never I love her she's also in my very favorite film Nashville of all time she's uh, five easy pieces uh, you know everything of course Karen Black it, Day of the Locust um, and just such a wonderfully imperfect Perfect, bizarre, 
uh, a, a confused genius. And um, I did get to see her on stage uh, several times in L.A., and she always pretended to remember me from the van. She was like, I know you. We've met before. Um, and uh, she was lovely. And I used to do an uh, impression of her on my old podcast on Glitter in the Garbage because uh, I, I love Karen Black so much. And um, she has passed away uh, a few years ago. So I just wanted to give her a shout-out. If you don't know the work of Karen Black, the oeuvre, check out Karen Black. All right, here's the rest of the show. Hi, ladies. How are you? Hi. <laughs> I'm here with delightful Molly Prather and Tamika Simpkins. Hi. 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 Hello, Hi. everybody. I love how we were just screaming at each other and we're starting so gently. <laughs> and I was like, Hi, how are you? <laughs> and we were just literally screaming. It's foreplay. <laughs> exactly. It's foreplay. We got a you long way to go. You can't go at a 10 out of the gate. Yeah, it's just too is. much. <laughs> Wham, bam, good night. That's it. Now, Tamika, you were apologizing. You said you had a really loud, boisterous laugh. I do. Unlike uh, me or Molly, are you kidding me? We all are like, we're all crazy. I love it. I, I it. love it too. And it's like, well, Tamika and I are doing a show right now. We're doing Die, Mommy, Die, which mm-hmm. I've talked about a bunch on the show. And and you uh, are have to, are taking over the final uh, weeks of the show, yes. but you've been understudying. So you've been in the audience. And I love it when you're in the audience because, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, obviously you're on our side because you're yes. in the show, but you also are just a great audience member. And I'm, I like, want to enjoy a show when I'm at a show especially a comedy mm-hmm. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit through some a Eugene O'Neill play and laugh like Robert De Niro in Cape Fear like I'm not in a, I'm not gonna be inappropriate but I believe in like laughing when you enjoy something because this show that we're doing right now as you know people who sit there and just kind of pleasantly nod yeah. can go jump off a hill of dicks because well, that's like when people I feel like when white people go see live music and we all just stand and look at the person Person, or, like, or film it. Put our phones out and film yeah, it. Yeah, instead of like fucking being there. Like yes, they're creating yes. it for us to move and yes. feel and we're just all, uh. Well, and it's so much of live performance in, right. is, is resp- there's a responsibility mm-hmm. on the audience mm-hmm. to engage and to connect. It's not about making it about you because like, definitely the audience members that love to like, you know, call out things like, you know, that's what she said or whatever. Like that person's an asshole. because they're yourself. Exactly, right. please. And, but I'm just saying when people are enjoying something laugh respond exactly. you know um, I went and saw Fun Home last night at the Amundsen mm-hmm. and it's it's wonderful I mean I, I I love that show and you know you laugh when things are funny you cry when they, like you're you're there with the with the performers on stage you're not at home on TV you're not sitting there and just kind of you know letting it happen to you because you'll get less of a good show right. I also think, like, as, you know, all of us here are creators and you know how hard it is to get to, like, you know, if you're an actor and you get, you know how hard it is that you're crafting this laughter as a writer, you know how hard you thought to word it. And it is a way, it's like when someone laughs, it's our way of showing appreciation. Mm -hmm. It's saying, I get what you're doing. Right, exactly. I get what you're doing. Thank you, exactly. You know, and you get a better show. You you, you receive a better show. You know, right. it's like, I, you know, and uh, so I always go back to it. You know, Jim Dodding said in college, he, my one of the directors I had, he said, an audience gets the show they deserve. Ooh. And I love that mm-hmm. because it's so true. It's like, you know, if, if, if people are distracted and on their phones or just kind of sitting there with their arms folded, ready to hate it, then they will. And yeah. or they'll get right. less of a show. Right. And, you know, we've 
done this show so many times now that I, you know, you could film it and it's probably without the audience there. It's probably the same, same. Mm-hmm. pretty much the same, but it feels wildly different mm-hmm. to us when we're up there. And the audience's feedback lets the performers on stage know we are with you for this ride. Yes. Let's go. Absolutely. It's not a, it's not just we're just here to entertain you. You are coming with us. Yes. And I like you said, it's a responsibility mm-hmm. of the audience to give that feedback because what they're giving you're gonna receive and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Well there's exactly. something about like uh it's like I see you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my favorite thing when like Bob Dassey is he, he's oh, yeah. like my he's favorite wonderful. improviser cuz even if he's in the back eating popcorn he <laughs> like I want like I want to laugh to let him know I see him even though he yeah. doesn't fucking need me to see him or like, I just saw Glenn Close in Sunset Boulevard oh, how is it I mean you know there's that I was I watched it and I was like holy fuck cuz I went I was like, I really want to see Sunday in the Park. Like, I'm so excited for that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I'll see, see Sunset Boulevard because my uh-huh. friend can get me tickets. Uh-huh. And then I, Sunday in the Park was like, all right. Um, really? Oh, God. Those co- and the costumes made me want to kill myself. And in Sunday in the Park? Out. Yeah, they were like regional theater. Oh, no. That, you're like, this is Broadway. I just paid $150 for this ticket. Get a Get something other than that shitty, shimmery, like one-dimensional. Sh- Wait, and, and also for that show, and that's my favorite musical of all time, Sunday in the Park with George. And there's the 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 painting will tell you what costumes to get, and right, you and know, there, and the, like I mean, the Act most... Two, Act Two is more you know uh, up to interpretation. But it but, was mm. like it, we, I was sitting on Broadway, like seeing like the best of the best, and even the costumes. I was just like. We had, co- I worked in the costume shop in college at a state school, not even like an Ivy League school, uh-huh. and our costumes were better than that. Wow. You know, there wow. was just that feeling of like, oh, um, you guys, this, like, everything seemed like an afterthought, and they didn't, you know, I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was fantastic. I love him. I'm a huge fan. I would, And I think he'd be a great George. I'd love to see him do it. Yeah, I loved it. But yeah. seeing Glenn Close... Mm-hmm. in Sunset Boulevard and she not only was like she brought her Glenn closeness to it but she had all these like tinier funnier little things that I w- like you have to laugh at those like I, you have I'm to. so often the only person laughing in the audience and then I feel like people will laugh because I mm-hmm. yeah laugh. you give them permission get, to laugh yeah. and with I you. take so much, so much pride, pride in that, in that. <laughs> I well I saw I saw Glenn Close do it 20 years ago and and uh, right How, for gra- you were like five I was five <laughs> did you even no I graduated from high school I, I was my graduation present from high school oh. my family took me to New York to see Sunset Boulevard <gasps> and I saw Glenn Close in that and it was it's to this day one of the best performances I've ever seen Hands down. and I I love that she's not really a singer because that's exactly how Norma Desmond would sound to me. It was dangerous. It felt so live. It felt so alive. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I remember there was one point that sh- I saw her spit because we were, it was the yeah. first, it was also the, it was my second trip to New York. And the first trip I took to New York, we were very much like in the back in the nosebleed seats. And we were seeing Phantom <laughs> of the Opera and Miss Saigon. Mm-hmm. And it was that like family trip. But this trip, I felt so much more. And we were like on the eighth row and we got to see. And so I was wow. really close. Yeah. 
to uh, to sing like close, and I was just like I was close to close. Um, <laughs> I'm an asshole, uh, but I just thought it was it was the first, maybe one of the first times in my life that I had seen something that incredible on stage, and I was I'll never forget. So I would love to go back and, and yeah. see her. And like you said, at the end of the show, they did the like Equity fights AIDS, give us money. Yeah, they did that and last night at Fun mm-hmm. Home too. When she came out and talked at the end, I think because there was such an intimate relationship with the audience, I felt like she was like, now I have to talk with you guys about giving us some money. Uh You know, there was something Uh like we'd gone on this three-hour journey Uh together. We felt like we were close to close. (laughs) And there was... It broke down. There was like a breakdown of the like when you see a movie, it's like it's over. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. There was just something like very live and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but you get it. Also, Molly directed my solo show, Bright yes. Colors and Bold Patterns. So we worked together, and I love that about you because you help pick out those moments, and you always like, you know. And we did that in a thirty-seat theater, and it was originally, and it was like that was so dependent on the audience. Yeah, you know, to and every night was different, and there were nights that there was literally a night where I think most of the audience had come back from Palm Springs over a weekend, and they were so tired, oh my and they God. were exhausted. It was one of our earliest shows. I don't know if you were there or not, but it was like it was maybe like the fourth or fifth show, and I could feel the audience was just exhausted Tired. from the second I got out on stage and I remember feeling not that different but 10 minutes in I was like whoa this feels really weird and afterwards I had good friends that came and saw it and they were like that was so depressing and I'm like I never thought the show was depressing and then friends who came back and saw it later were like oh you were so much funnier and you added so many bits and jokes like, and I no, was that like was on you. no that was you because I wasn't much different but you were in a state and you saw yeah. this this show from such a different place. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of it was in, in a 30 seat theater. That is like you're ma- basically in someone's living Inside room. Inside of their house. You know, and, um, and I love playing in those spaces, but it's really dangerous and scary when you do comedy in those spaces because you're like, if people don't laugh, how much do I have right. to give? Right. You know? Well, and I see, I mean, I've seen that show 75,000 mm-hmm. times. <laughs> and it's interesting, like having, you know, you and I worked on it from the inception. So, you know, we wrote laugh lines and then you drew physicalized and it's it it's it was it's always still interesting to watch you you do seem with that show specifically like pretty audience proof because i know you know where people are supposed to laugh like right, you right, know right, yeah, you yeah. know your fucking lines but it is interesting like sitting in the audience of that show and seeing uh people just attach themselves to different sides of your sense of humor. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can feel that sometimes in audiences, too. It's a weird thing right? with that show because, because you know, it, it it's different from the play where it's like I, we have this script that we kind of just stick to these words, you know. Right. Whereas it's a play when it's like when I wrote it and we created it together, it's like I can kind of massage it a little bit more mm-hmm. and go, oh, mm-hmm. they're feeling way more this way. Yeah. Or I don't feel like this, this was clearly delivered. I didn't really quite... Or this th- thought just popped into my head, and it's all like little stuff that you would see and recognize every night. But like, you know, but it is—it's so fun to do that, for, and it keeps it l- fresh for me because mm. it's like, oh god, I'm so glad I'm not going out and just doing Hamlet every night. Because, yeah. and even in Time I May Die, we we do something different every night. Yeah. We have so many props in that show, and so many things that can go wrong, and wigs, and and cues that there's something every yes. night that we're like, well, that happened, yep. you know. And when the audience <laughs> is on our side and they love it, because everybody's a really confident 
actor and improviser in our show that no one's going to panic and freak out, but it's live theater and right. anything can happen. And so, um, yeah, it's super fun. Yeah. Oh, theater chat! Isn't it delightful? <laughs> delightful. Well, I want to. I want to talk more to you too. I want to hear some. I want to hear some stories. Uh, hey, no judgment. Just, <laughs> just life. I love it. I might ask some questions. I might just sit here and wonder. I don't know. Who wants to go first? Okay. Tamika, uh, yeah. Molly just pointed. I've been, dra- Tamika, Tamika. I've been drafted to go first. Okay. <laughs> well, I was going to tell one story, but I had a revelation last oh, night. Oh, good. And, oh, great. And like I Molly, it. I was really nervous. I'm like, okay, Tamika, don't get on Drew's show and just like fuck it up and oh say my something God. totally stupid. <laughs> what are you going to say? Let's 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 map out our thoughts. I wasn't like you, but I was thinking I should write notes and I should I should do all this because I'm yeah. very nerdy like that. But I had a revelation last night because I'm a night owl and even though I'm a performer, um, my background is in computers and oh, programming. Okay, yes. Okay. So I have wow. a bachelor's degree in computer science. Okay. Um, and I Where'd you go to school? Temple University. Oh, Oh, Temple. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great and uh, took a strong curriculum. Uh, was geared towards programming. So I'm a coder, so okay. to speak. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> very, very nerdy. That that nerdy type of, and you don't see that normally in Black women. So when people when I say it, people are like, <laughs> you also wow. got like a tattoo and like yeah, cool the, jeans. Like I, I, a lot I, of this is my dad's influence. If if it's um. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I was up last night coding, launching uh, a website for one of my clients. Oh, okay. I, I develop websites. I've been doing that for like 20 years. Started wow. when I was two. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. And um, I came across um, an issue with a template that I was working with or a, a, a plugin. And uh, I reached out to the developer and I said, hey, I'm having an issue with this plugin. Um, can you please advise? And like five seconds after that, my mind figured it out because I'm always in troubleshooting mode. And I I said, oh, I think I emailed too soon. Here's the problem. I fixed it, blah, blah, blah. He was like, oh, my God, I've had so many bugs with this thing that I developed and you fixed it. Do you want another plug-in for free? Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was a plug-in that I paid for. And I was like, oh, okay. And so the revelation was because there are times when you feel that you're not good enough. Oh, and I, being, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, know, I know as artists, we don't know, we don't know anything about that. We don't know nothing about that. But as a programmer, if the program isn't perfect... Uh-huh. It doesn't work. Mm. And so oh, I had right. this weird thing of perfectionist syndrome and all of those things. But I've learned last night after that incident to say that your knowledge, your worth, whatever you bring is valuable to someone in the world, even if it is to one person. Wow. Um, yeah. And that's huge for me because sometimes I feel like oh I'm not good enough mm-hmm. as an artist or a programmer sure. it's not perfect oh I suck blah 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 and just him saying that and as a coder and a programmer when someone helps you fix out a problem that you've been pulling your hair out about mm-hmm. you, I was like oh I helped this guy fix this problem he's probably been agonizing about mm-hmm. for nights and, and you had weeks. no idea that you were no fixing idea. his problem you know and um um, that oh. just made me realize I know some shit. 
I'm worthy. <laughs> I'm worthy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I helped someone out. I, I am valuable to someone in the world. And so I say that because, you know, we just went through pilot season mm-hmm. and I had all these amazing auditions. Didn't really book anything, but I'm still grateful that this pilot season was like 10 full. times full than any other years yeah. than I've had. But then it's also, well, I didn't book anything. What's wrong with me? Right. Am well, I worthless? Well, well, <laughs> well, of course. Well, don't you, is, is it is it hard for you as a math-brained person mm-hmm. to work in art, which is like such a hard, is that hard to negotiate between? Sometimes it because is. Because you, you were saying like the program is always, like if the program isn't exactly right, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Whereas in art, if you're not exactly right, you're instantly more interested Right. Than someone who's like completely perfect. Like I'd rather, like I was talking about, to talk about Glenn Close, mm-hmm. I would rather watch Glenn Close do Sunset Boulevard than anybody who has perfect pitch and training and who's doing everything correctly because there's, there's a humanity there. There's mm-hmm. like a brokenness there that I think is so fascinating mm-hmm. in art. And I always think some of the most interesting moments on stage or in film and, and I'm doing, I, and um, I, uh, spoiler you guys, I, I, I do my opening rants sometimes after my podcast. So I'm <laughs> going to talk uh, early, uh, earlier about Karen Black, uh, and um, she was a classic example of just such a non-perfect, brilliant actor. Like, you know, and you're that, in that sort of, but you're, but in your world of math, where it is numbers and coding, mm-hmm. and like, one zero's wrong, and the whole thing doesn't work. Right. You know, and so, um, you know, is that, you know, and that must feel hard, because... You know, like you're saying, like, you know, you audition and you have a great, you know, you do a great job and then they just go, oh, we want somebody two inches shorter Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. It's like it can be the tiniest little thing Um, or your sometimes you can go in there and do something that you feel like didn't go well at all. And they want you. And that was exactly what they what they wanted in you. Mm -hmm. You know, you or they knew when you walked in the door that that it's like, oh, that's exactly what we want for Mm -hmm. that thing. I think like the motherfucker about that is when you are. Becoming an, an actor, becoming mm-hmm. a writer, becoming a director, whatever, there is the implication that if when you are good enough, if you're good enough, you're going to get the job. Yes. So it's like, so that means I have to be able to sing the best. I have to be able to act the best. I have to say the lines the best. I have to be the best in order to get anything. And it's like such a fucking crazy falsehood. You yes. don't have to be the best. You just have to be what they need. Right. And that right. is the biggest mm-hmm. motherfucker of them all Absolutely. about art is because you it attracts people with some let's say some cracks in the foundation yeah right? sure and that's where like the good stuff is that's where like that's where so much of like our ability to express and our ability to embody and blah 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 comes from yeah and that perfectionism mm-hmm. the hyper competitiveness that like I need the gold star I want to be good enough I, always trying to prove yourself feeds into all of that but at the end of the day being perfect doesn't get you cast doesn't get you hired right. Mm-hmm. Right. it's just like what do I need you do right. I need you mm-hmm. are you right for it like you know exactly how you are and that's such a hard thing to like really wrap your brain around Mm -hmm. and it's also good to know that 
you are good enough, you know, mm-hmm. like you all, even if, period. You know, period. And like, you know, holding on to that moment where you're like, wow, I actually did made this guy's life easier. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. How nice of him to offer you a free plug-in when yeah. you're just like, you don't expect something like that. But, you know, you by sort of... Um, uh, trusting yourself and just kind of and like you said being in p- troubleshooting mode and mm-hmm. just going oh I fixed this thing oh I can do this again um, and I think too like um, I you know it's like I as somebody who you know I'm 40 years old and I'm like I feel like I've been doing the same life since I was 16 <laughs> and I don't really know how to do big boy things and I still feel like I don't I just don't understand you know adult life and you know I have a, a younger brother who like sells insurance and has two kids and owns a house and has like you know and so I'm always like wow my, my little brother has is like a, a, an adult right. and I'm kind of going huh what do I do so anytime I can do anything that's like when I feel like I can like make a tiny repair like I like repaired my toilet on my I did a YouTube video and I figured I fixed my toilet and I was like I'm a man I'm an adult I'm valid look what I did and it was the dumbest little like but pump it's thing. not oh, it's but it's I not. was like those little things those little moments of and I and I I remember when I you know when I was in college I had this crazy I spent a summer in London and the um the day I flew in, this was uh, uh, pre nine eleven, and so and it was and I was used to just going mostly to like Charlotte airports. I hadn't flown that much, and it was back when you could you where people could greet you right when you got off the right. plane. Exactly. So, uh, but not in London, and not when you're coming from another country. You do have to go through customs and that. And I, but I was jet lagged. I didn't understand. I didn't really know I had gotten off. So I was waiting on Mr. Dotting again to bring him up again. Mr. The man who said the audience gets the show they deserve. He was letting me stay at his flat in the. Um, to the summer, um, he's a um, an uh, older gentleman. Very, he was he was elderly, and he was you know driving to pick me up at the airport. Uh, well, he was waiting outside where everyone's waiting, like past customs and all that. Well, I didn't know, so I was waiting right out of the gate, and he wasn't there. And I waited for like an hour. Wow. And uh, and and then I realized as I started to sort of wake up and see what was happening, I was like, no one's coming towards me everyone's just leaving Mm -hmm. this one direction Mm -hmm. and I was like oh I think I need to go through so I'd go through customs and they were questioning me like what have you been doing for the last hour why didn't you come up the rest of your flight (laughs) then I had to go you know and then um, I had to go through everything my luggage was missing because they had taken it off and putting it put it in like lost and found somewhere so I had no luggage and I go out where everyone's waiting and Mr. Donning had left because he thought I didn't make the flight and so he was gone so I had no way of doing it I had a an envelope full of English money that I hadn't looked looked at yet like I hadn't even looked at like what's worth what and what's this and I was at like Victoria Station uh, no I was at the I was at Gatwick Airport and I was like how do I get to this flat in London I've never been here before I've never been to this country I don't know what I'm doing but I was in my head I was like go to Victoria Station that's a central place and then catch in my head I was like okay get a bus from Victoria Station and then just give them the address and you'll somehow get there you have the whole day but this is before cell phones yeah before you know and so I figured it out and through the course of the day I finally made it there to Made, found the apartment um, after many people screaming and cussing me out because I was on the bus pushing pence across the, uh, you know, I'm like, I don't know what this is. And I finally got there. And then the, the next day my luggage arrived and the, you know everything was fine. And I felt like such a champion. I was yeah, like, I figured out life. <laughs> because, you know, when you're like, and, and the, the survival mode kicks in where mm-hmm. you're like, because in my head I was like, 
Victoria Station. That sounds like a, a that thing. sounds a thing. Yeah. I've heard of that before. I can figure this out, you know. And you know, it, it's just. Um, I remember my friend, uh, one of my best friends in the world, Vivica, and I. Uh-huh. We lived together for a seventeen and a half million years, and she was she's a couple years older than I am, and. Uh, you know, I grew up with like a single mom and like always feel like I have no idea what's going on and like right. am two steps away from being an orphan. Like in all of her twists. Yeah, exactly. And Vivica always knew like she was that girl who like if the toilet wasn't working, she would say, What isn't working? And then she would Google it and then she would watch a video and then she would fix it. And I was just like she might have might as well have been God like for <laughs> the type of power that I believe that she possessed and I remember when we were we just moved here it was like 10 years ago and my car was dead and we had to jump our car mm. and she was like well all we had to do is just like google it and then do it and I was like <laughs> but where are the men you know like <laughs> just the two of us are gonna do that but, <laughs> and you, you know and you look it up and it's like attach these wires attach these wires turn on your car and right. it was like we were activating nuclear codes there we were <laughs> thought we were gonna like blow up our whole apartment building uh you know just like all of this and when we like atta- you know we attach the two and then you and then it's like that last one right you get um you know it's like if you do it wrong you could cause some sparks probably <laughs> yeah and we were just like it was like we were about to push the nuclear launch codes it'd be like <laughs> And when we jumped that motherfucking car, we were like, ah, Thai food for everyone! You know, it just felt like this crazy accomplishment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then when we felt like such motherfucking badasses when people mm-hmm. would be like, I have to jump my car. And we're like, we know how. <laughs> you know, but it felt yeah. like such a... And I do feel like in, with my husband and I, I have that like rooted in me now where right. I'm like, if anything's wrong, just fucking Google it yes. first. Go to, like really go to the troubleshooting, watch the video, read all the instructions, yeah. go in a Reddit chat, like figure it out. And my husband has that thing where he's like, it won't turn on. It's broken. <laughs> you know, and you're like, you can't throw your computer away. Right. Yeah, you, can't, you can't do that. Now, I, do w- that. I would just tell you, be careful who you tell that you know how to jump a car because then oh. you will become the expert. <laughs> and when it's people like having a shit truck. Break, yes, when they shit breaks down, they're going to call you. They're like, oh, Molly knows how to do that. I'm just I'll tell you from experience, when people find out I know computers, I oh, go yeah, to number right. one oh. on their speed dial and I'm like, you don't need to do that's not there's this guy ernie mancius he like he like used to i think he used to sell used cars or something and this poor guy he were he was an io guy and so every single fucking low-rent comedy motherfucker (laughs) the minute they had a car question this poor guy had to fill every Persons, how do I get a car? How do I sell a car? How do I buy a car? How do I fix? Uh, you know, like, it's such a bummer. I always felt well, so bad for him. It's that thing where you know, it's like I, you know, it's like when people just like you know think I'm a walk a, a, a constant resource on improv schools on and, Groundlings, and, yeah. and, and Groundlings or UCB and where should I study improv and where should I you know and they just want to have all these questions for me and it's sort of like I don't fucking know I don't know <laughs> the longer I've been on here the less I know what to tell you and I re- and please don't like and I'm not you don't know don't go to any like, do, yeah don't do anything 
If you have to ask, go then home. you know, go home. <laughs> or you know, it's like there's sometimes that I'm like, I, I would be happy to tell you what I what I know, but. Well, let's at least go to lunch and make this yeah, official. Not or just a, buy me lunch. Right, and I'll not just talk like a random you. text out of the blue, like, "Hey, what should I do? How should I do my life?" It's always like, "Oh my God, people!" You know, because you're right; they do think shorthand. Like, who do I know? Right. Um, and I have so abused good friends of mine with trucks. Like, I'll be like, "Oh, they have a truck," you know, <laughs> Sam Pancake. If you're listening, love you dearly. Uh, I, I just told everybody like... that Sam has a truck. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Sam, I'm so sorry. I feel like Joe. <laughs> Sam's not available. He's all. He's busy. He's always working, you He's guys. He's always working. True, that's true. So don't call Sam. <laughs> Sam's not available. He has no truck. Good cover oh, up, Drew. Sam just, cover oh, Sam just texted me. He he sold his truck. <laughs> Goodbye, Sam. Bye, Sam's dead. Sorry, Sam. Rest in peace. You had a good run. Uh, that's like my husband. I feel like my husband is like a little bit um, stronger than a lot of comedy boys that I know. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So my poor husband gets roped into helping everyone move what? anything. <laughs> Like, I have to move a table. I have to move my entire apartment. Joe's always like, all right. uh, Here we go. (laughs) That sounded just like him. I also noticed, I love that that your husband, Joe, uh, um, posts a lot of pictures I knew it was gonna of be insanely about- disgusting food. <laughs> and it's always like, it's always like a marinara sauce or uh, like wrapped around tater tots and, you know, and just everything, just like dude food. Yep. However, he just posted, was it yesterday or day before, like a, a, a piece of salmon and some asparagus. <sighs> and he's like, I'm trying to get healthy. I can't. <laughs> His whole thing is like he has the worst body dysmorphia of any woman I've ever met. Really? He has oh sorry baby, but he <laughs> has out of all I you know like I grew up with actresses like he has the worst body dysmorphia of anyone. Like he uh, he, he thinks he doesn't he thinks look he's a, fat. He's oh like, oh my lord, I'm fat. He's and, such a he's such a beautiful man. Oh, look at that your when face! I, like, oh, come this on. is ridiculous. He is, he's like an Adonis. Like he has a six pack at all times. It doesn't matter how many potato chips. He always he's fucking ripped and buff. But he sees like a like. In his mind, he looks like a melted candle of a person (laughs) whose flesh is just dripping off of them. And he does, and he eats like a boy, like like no one I have ever met. He's definitely that person who is is like this pizza is for me. What are you having? Like Mm -hmm. that kind of guy, Mm -hmm. and loves like pizza and beer and like that kind of stuff. And then he will do. He goes to these extreme. Like I have to get in shape. (laughs) <laughs> and he like from the he runs a bar and he ordered like 28 million pounds of these pre-cooked chicken breasts through like one of their food distributors right. and now all he's eating is like chicken breast he like prepped meal prepped he's eating brown rice asparagus because he's like I just got to get back in shape and I'm like you literally look exactly as you yeah, the yeah, same exactly. as you did last he always week. looks great and you know <laughs> he's tortured by it oh wow he has, wow. heavy as a child or no, something I was going to ask the same like, question he, uh, uh, his mom's kind of like the first one to be. There's a lot of. It's always about the mom, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, <laughs> sure. But there's definitely a lot of um, uh, body dysmorphia in that family. Like mm-hmm. they're this beautiful, gorgeous, amazing family, 
And then within eight minutes of sitting down with them at a meal or where there's butter within 12 miles, <laughs> mm-hmm. like there's a narration of their relationship to the food. Yeah. It's really intense. We all have we all have really crazy relationships to food. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, you know, and it, it will always be worse for women. But as as we go on, there is it's creeping into men. And, and it's with like, you know, uh, I was talking about this yesterday, the group of people like about about boys and how they're like 13 year old boys on Instagram with mm. abs and showing off their bodies and they're like these young teenage boys and the mm. obsession with looking a certain like way. a certain way like that and it's something that and it will always be worse for women I, I can't imagine ever being like oh poor guys but but still guys see this ideal body and they see this thing and you know and then we where we live out here and in the world that we're in, you know it's like you you feel like this this you have to be a certain way and you have to look a certain way and it's mm-hmm. never going to end it's never going to stop and there's a relationship to your self-worth yes it it's goes back right. to what you were saying mm-hmm. at the beginning it's like if i'm perfect mm-hmm. then i'll be then i'll be hireable then, then i'll be worth people, it exactly. then i can be loved and it's control it's like if i can control this then i can do anything and it's like you don't realize that you know our neuroses will just jump onto something else mm-hmm. you know it's like you know when i feel okay about how i look that i will immediately be neurotic about how much money I have, or if I'm okay with money, then I'll immediately pop over to like, oh, I just said the weirdest things to somebody, or I'm not a good enough friend, or oh, I'm not uh, lovable. Like that's why I'm not in a relationship. Oh, I, you, know, you jump Pick over something. to one thing to another yeah. always, mm-hmm. and that's just that little. Vo- and you have to realize like that's all that that is. Nobody else is thinking of me that way and looking at me that way. But we're so, you know, um, ugh, it's just it's. Are you watching truth. Legion? Are you watching? No. So I feel like I'm kind of obsessed with, I don't actually know if it's a good or bad show, but what I love (laughs) about it is it's one of those shows where you spend a lot of time wondering like, is that real? Is that not real? Is that Mm -hmm. real? Is that not real? Um, And this, you know, it's sort of like, are we inside of this person's head? Like how far Mm -hmm. are we inside of this person's Mm -hmm. head? And you know, examining what is real and what is not. And I think it sort of like personifies that voice in your head that says that you're not enough, you're not good. And like, there, it's so hard as a human being to understand that there are voices in your head that like, oh, child. do not, <laughs> do not, be- that are like not yours, right, that are right. not to be listened to. Mm-hmm. They are not that perfectionism where you're like, well, maybe it's protecting me or maybe it's literally trying to kill me. Right. Exactly. You know, like right. trying to figure out those differences between um when it's in your own head, where it's the survival, it's mm-hmm. the fight or flight. Mm-hmm. It's like, I like not being able to tell like what is right and what is wrong, mm-hmm. and you know, if I, um, uh, yeah. I also just think like you have to, you have to acknowledge those voices, and I. But I also think it's important to have them, and maybe this is my southern Presbyterian right. upbringing, mm-hmm. which is like you should feel a little bit of shame and feel <laughs> and don't feel too proud of who you are. But I will say, <laughs> that is... someone that I know who has none of those voices is an asshole. Well, like he's a I, I can think of pretty much mm-hmm. a, he's either a sociopath or he has been only raised with support to to a fault and being told that he 
he's wonderful. He's had a lot of wins in his life. He's a very attractive. Fr- I'm thinking of one person in particular mm-hmm. um, who wouldn't listen to this because why? He doesn't need why to get bother? better. Why bother? <laughs> he's still winning. Um, and I had an interaction with him over the weekend, and I was like, "Oh, I can't stand to be around you because you have none of that in you, mm. and that is so unattractive to me because you, you are as gorgeous in person as you are, as talented as you are. You're empty on a weird level because right. you have no sense of." Of that thing. So I think we have to, I have, what do I know? But I think we have to just be like, okay, that's that voice. Acknowledge it. It's healthy to a certain de- degree. It it's keeps us in check. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. regulating us. Because otherwise we'd be like, I'm the shit. I'm awesome. I'm always doing great. And every choice I make is the correct one. And, and everyone else is wrong. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, that's a, that must be a, cr- a really beautiful place for you to live in. And you might be happier. But everyone around you secretly hates you if they haven't openly told you. Right. You know what I mean? They really don't enjoy it. People don't like being around that person who has zero sense of like, ugh, ugh, ugh. Well, uh, my assumption is that they lack empathy for mm-hmm. what is wrong, what is your challenges. Right. You know, and it's hard to be around someone like that because whether it's true or not, you just assume that they, they're a narcissist or a sociopath and they look in the mirror and see nothing wrong. So they must look at you and see and a see lot things of that are wrong flaws. and not have empathy or compassion right you know it's right. so it's like yeah fuck that guy right and they also make really boring artists i mean this is someone who is the opposite of glenn close like you're just like wow you're very trained and you're very right. talented and you're period shiny. and you're and, not and open you're not, to you're making not, mistakes exactly. and living life and learning from them and so because, how sad mm-hmm. you know it's like a it's a anyway um molly I want to hear. Okay, so I just want you guys to pick. Uh, okay, yes. <laughs> Molly's, I love Molly's Molly. made a list. She's made a list. <laughs> well, because I was like, because like it, it's like, you know, is it a minor, uh, you know, is this something you haven't talked about publicly? Is it a revelation? It can be anything it and everything. Okay, so I'm going to let you anything pick. anything and everything. That's why. Okay, so just pick a topic. Um <laughs> I just recently discovered that I don't like some people, and that's okay. Um, I yes. don't. I don't want children. Uh huh. I love secrets. I probably have terrible taste in music. Um, my car has psoriasis, and it makes me <laughs> want to die and peel my skin off. Um, I never really know how far I am from saying fuck it and burning my current life to the ground and becoming a drug addict who has sex with everyone, even women and children, just to make a giant mess so I have something tan- tangible to untangle. Oh, my and, God, I love you. <laughs> instead of dealing with the mundacity of everyday life. <laughs> um, I watched the pilot of This Is Us, and I thought it was for dumb people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I I choose to believe in God because why the fuck not? Um, I hate that I went to a state school. Um, I I love all of these. I'm about to say. I hate when you ask someone to do a favor and they don't do it. I hate that. Well, then let's let's do that. I'm irrationally. She has more. I have three more. <laughs> okay. Oh, two more. I fucking hate going to bed at night because it makes me feel close to death. Yep. And um, I used to be so irrationally envious of Casey Wilson <gasps> that I didn't know what to do with myself. Really? Yes. Oh my god. Okay. Well, let's talk about that for a little bit because because <laughs> we know and love Casey Wilson and she's the greatest. She's lovely and amazing. But you know wow. how we all have. That one secret nemesis who has no idea that 
you. Yeah. She yep. knows I exist. Of course. But, like, I'm sure if, she knows and loves you. If but. she knew how much I have compared myself to wow. her over legit like the last 10 years, it would be shocking to her. Wow. Because we all well, have that person, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, I will say, uh, do you know who we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. okay. So she's a, she's a lovely friend. And talk about somebody who is like, b- would be on here talking about every insecurity and the most openly like, I don't know what I mean. She's the most lovely and, and down to earth and, you know, uh, open human being. Um, but I totally, I, you know, I get it because... You know, despite all of that insight, you know, she's had a lot of success. She's done she's done everything. She's she's written movies. She's been on a million TV shows. Yeah, she's she's done, always, like, she's she always working. All the boxes. She's a, a a mom and a wife and she has this, you know And people love her. And people her. love her, you and know. She's and stylish um, and, and yeah. Yeah. But and you know, like but she was would be sitting right where you are and saying all the same things like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, you know what I mean? And that's and you know that too that that has nothing to do with your totally you know, so like the name and the person really has so little to do than you and your like totally I why. mean I definitely had that thing you know because she's I think she's a little bit younger than me and it's that weird thing where you know too much about someone where I'm like oh I know that she like here's the narrative she went to NYU mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. she had better parents who <laughs> knew it, you know what I mean just like she like she had something somebody watching out from her this is entirely made up but like she had somebody she had parents who cared about her and if she went to NYU her parents were either either more affluent or more plugged into her education so she won on that level so she just grew up with a better upbringing and then she got to go to NYU where she was able to connect with better people who also had good parents and were wealthy so they're already they've classed me out in that version and then she was able to come out out and be farther ahead because she didn't go to a state school and she because she she um june had that show which was a little it was pretty close to like when i started doing my show and it's that like why did they get picked and why didn't i get picked right mm-hmm. right right right. and i just for so long she just kept getting things and i look at her and i would always look at her and be like oh she and june just like their show was right before mine and they went out in like skin colored bodysuits and like made queef noises and like fucking <laughs> leveled the place and I'm gonna get out here and do this like fucking soliloquy about how I fucking got drunk a whole bunch in my 20s in Europe <laughs> like I wonder why that worked out differently yeah, yeah. you know but just like there were so many times when I just she was that person for so long I would see her name in deadline and I was like she got another thing no <laughs> Right. And there's the proximity, which is challenging, where you're like, I've done show. It's just, I know we all have, it feels so dirty to like say it out loud. But it's, but, but it's not, nothing against her. It's no, not her at all. She's because so she's so kind and yeah. generous and lovely. And every time I see her, she, uh, everybody loves Kate. I mean, really, everyone loves Kate. Casey well, Wilson, yeah. And it's and a thing where you, reason. you know, uh, also, you know, it's that, it's that, it's there's got to be something that's like fucked because of this business that's woman based about that because you feel like you do feel the limited opportunities for women right i mean do you feel like i don't even i honestly like don't even uh i don't I've, feel that specifically i just feel i mean you guys are similar in a lot of ways and the things but i'm just saying like 
the thing is that you know you know just to look at the you know to people when people talk about like the ladies on SNL there's mm-hmm. all they always compare the women on Saturday Night Live like they never compare the men ever the men mm-hmm. are always like oh they're all great all the boys the boys club the boys are great which is the one woman that's funnier than all the other women totally. right? you know and I think women get, like get put in this position of like there can only be one that can that can win and gay men have that with each other yeah. and, you know and people of color have that with each other and it's mm-hmm. a thing where it's like any minority you know you feel like there's there can be room for one in the room yeah and it's, only one you know only one yeah because god forbid you know it, it, we really tip the scale and not have all, I mean, mostly straight white guys in the room and so that's just why i say that because i just i feel like i definitely have have felt that and i feel like um you know when i audi- and i've talked about this a lot on the show but like when i've you know auditioned there's a like r- r- there's that one gay role and they call in 30 of the funniest people and they're all gay men and we all are up for one part and it can be one of us, you right. know, and God forbid any of us play any of the other roles or like anything. It, it, it never the twain shall meet, you know, and, and 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 so it's that thing where we we do we we put this thing and I'm not to put this on you, but the, with, with your story. But I, I, I just I do. There's just so much conversation about people like they go back and forth and they go, well, you know. And they, you know, it's it's which woman is which woman is funnier than the other woman? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I think what I hear you saying is like that idea of there is that feeling that there is a f- there is a finite amount of success, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. and there is actually not enough to go around. And right. I, you know, as a person in my life, I I like to or I cling to the idea that that. Hopefully is not true. I hope that there is room for everyone at the table. I hope, but you know, we don't. It's not a merit. It's not a meritocracy. No. Like you don't get based on what you put out and no, how nice no, you no, are no. to people yeah. and how many times you show up and if you do it perfect or not. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah. And it makes it very easy to live in scarcity and just want what other people want. I mean, I can name the girls like in the, it's like whether it's like Mindy Kaling or mm-hmm. you know, it's like mm-hmm. they're those girls mm-hmm. who are like writers and they're funny and they're like, you know, a little, you know, a little bit outside of center of being like the ingenue mm-hmm. and girls who are like you're just paving the way for the rest of us. Right. But I'm just fe- but that fear that like takes over that you just got there first. And because you right. I think that's what yeah, you got well, there and, first, and now well, and, but, there's you know, no room it's, for me. But it's like, but it's it's it can be a bottomless pit as well because like Casey made a big point. I mean, when she was on Saturday Night Live, or right when she was off of Saturday Night Live, I know she did a great Funny or Die video where she was just reading horrible comments that people said about her, and she was on that show and is and was barely getting anything to do on there, yeah. and was and was very open about that. Was like you know, and and really um, struggle with that, and she you know it was and everybody and it's just. Fun Funny to think that she was there with Kristen Wiig, who was doing so well on the show. But Kristen is also the most self-deprecating. What am I doing with my life, person? To this day, like, she's the most lovely, down to earth as well. So mm-hmm. she's like, I don't know what I'm doing either. So you know, there's also that feeling of like, well, when, and and I don't think that ever stops. I don't think whatever you know, you've had you've had great success, and it's like, and you're still gonna go, but I'm not, you know. And I think it's that same thing as that voice. That just tells you, but you're not going to be blah, blah, blah. You're never going to be blah, blah, blah. You know, and I, 
<clears throat> I feel that way as well because there's that there there's that need too. And as you go on, you're like, I want to be something. Mm-hmm. I want to be blank. I want to be known for something. I want to make a mark. I want to do something. And yes, and I and I feel like I'm like unfairly in competition sometimes with with other, other people. with other people right. and it's not a competitive business it's, not. it's just not there's no you know there's no number at the end it's not sports where there's a score at the end and there's a winner and a loser Ooh, it's not it wall like street oh. where at the end of the day the dow's up or the dow's down mm-hmm. the numbers are here and it's numbers yeah and to go back to what you were saying to me about like about you know when a code is one little bit off it's all wrong whereas in what we're doing we don't have any sort of but like, sometimes it feels like it. It feels sometimes like it. Like it. No, it feels it, like it. I think it feels like it because it's it it uh, it it's how we're trained in our brains to think that it is a meritocracy because we're told all our lives go to school, you know, mm-hmm. study hard, make good grades, be the best, be the best, go to a good college, and you'll get a great job, mm-hmm. and 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 life will happen like that. And for a lot of people in a lot of professions, that is how it works. You just, the person with the best grades gets into the best school, you know, and it just ding, zing, 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 And there is, in the real world, seniority. There are people who just get things because they got there first. Right. You know, and that's, that's like such a fucking anomaly to me in my brain um, that someone would just get something from being there longer, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, which just doesn't matter. Right. In our business, in our business, it doesn't. You can walk off the, uh, you can walk off the bus and just be in the right place, the right time. Someone go, oh, you, we want you now, and all of a sudden, and nobody is owed anything, and no one, you know. And so you have to just keep. That's why I, you know, when people say to me like, "Gosh, you're so busy, take a break. What are you doing? You're always so busy. You're doing so many things." I'm like, I do it to tell that voice to go fuck itself because I don't have time every day. Every day, I I don't tell that motherfucking bitch to go sit your ass in the corner. (laughs) Because the thing is. That voice is always going to be a part of you. Yes. You cannot get rid of it. You cannot silence it. But I tell that bitch, look, you're on punishment. You are fucking things up right now. We got shit to do. Go sit your ass in the corner and think about what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and I talk to her like, because like, I, I realize you're trying to protect me. You're trying to keep us safe. But being safe is not going to get us to the next level. Mm-hmm. Being safe is not going to take us to where we want to go and live our dreams. And the fact that now we live in, in a world where the possibility, there's so much more opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so that fact of scarcity is false. It's not yes. real. And for whatever reason, we have been brainwashed by society or whatever you want to call it to feel like we have to claw at each other and 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 grasp because there's not enough for everyone to go around. But mm-hmm. when you think about all of these new opportunities that we now have in the 21st century, that's all bullshit. It's mm-hmm. all bullshit. And let me tell you something else. There is one thing, you know, you watch a good movie and it's great and get inspired. But you know what really inspires me? Watching crappy movies, because after I watch the crappy movie, I'm like, okay, I I applaud you for doing that. You Mm. you did not let anything stop you. And then after I get that out the way, I'm like, now, what the fuck was that? (laughs) They did that shit. I know I could do that shit at the minimum. And that stuff inspires me to go out and to keep Keep going. going. And when you know how great 
You are. You know that you could go out and do the same thing because you have the opportunities. So you go tell that bitch, that ego, that inner critic, whoever the fuck she is, go sit your ass down somewhere until, you know, we have a glass of wine and then we can talk about bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I think, too, like we we tell ourselves at at a young age. For me, when I moved out here and I was 22... I was like, I said to myself, I was like, okay, when you're 28, mm. that's your year. <laughs> you're 28, you're going to get six years. So many and times. so I did that and I said to myself, and I've probably said this on the on the show before, but whatever, fuck it. Uh, I was like, I'm going to, at some point I, I, when I was 22, I was like, I'm going to get in the Groundlings. I'm going to get in the main company, the Groundlings. I'm going to get on Saturday Night Live and I'm going to uh, get a part in a movie. How convenient. But, uh, yeah, how nice would that work out? When I, now, here's the crazy thing. When I was 28, what happened? I was up. That was. How did I know that it would take the six years? How did I know what number it was? But 28 was the year that I was voted on to become a groundling. I was not put into the main company of the groundlings. 28 was also the year that I auditioned for Saturday Night Live. The one and only time I've auditioned at Saturday Night Live. I was 28. Um, and I had a friend that had written a part for me in his uh, mm-hmm. pilot, and it went all the way to the very end, and it just didn't happen. It was wow. just didn't get picked up, which... Those things were devastating to me. I spent a month in bed and thinking I've done something deeply wrong because I called all of it into my life mm-hmm. at that age and none of it happened. So it wasn't like I didn't get close to it. I was right there. I was mm-hmm. in those rooms. I was as close as I could have been to getting it. And I did it. Um, and uh I look back now 12 years later and say, oh, thank God those things didn't happen. You know, it, I, things would have been a lot easier for me had any of those things happened. Mm-hmm. A lot easier. Um, however, I, it yeah, made but you me... might have like done all the cocaine and made a giant mistake. You never mistake. know. Exactly. I, mean, I, I, I hear what you're yeah. saying. For and sure. I was not ready for it. I also was, I, um, you know, I think about... It made me go to UCB. It made me uh, branch out into the comedy community in LA and get to know so many other people. It made me um, make my own videos, and it's that's how I really got started was from making my own videos and kind of feeling like I had nothing to to lose, right. nothing to stand on. Yeah. Um, when I go back to the Groundlings and perform, which I get to do a lot, I don't have that fear of people watching me and judging me and will I get in or not. I'm there to play and to create and to get better and to have fun and it's not about achieving anything um you know uh i think about like how saturday Night live has been such an amazing opportunity for so many friends of mine i don't know i think now i could do it but i'm too old to be on it now but i i couldn't you know now i would treat it like a job and would do it and you know but at 28 i don't think it would have been right or for you would have got on it like you mentioned like with casey or, yeah. or so so many people who are on there for a f- they don't that's the bummer. I remember I went and saw Saturday Night Live live. Um, I just remember watching it. And of course, they're the people who were like very featured. And um, uh, oh, God, there was just like like Chris and Wiggs showed up. Fred Armisen showed up. All the anchormen, like all, all the, people the oh, after- Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. all these people showed up to have fun. But the people who were in the cast, like I think it was Noelle Wells. She had like a line. Right, right, right. She right, had yeah. a line. Right. And I just remember thinking, I wonder what that must feel like to come this far. You're on stage. You're doing, you did it. You won. You won for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. And then you're just like, dresses an elf and you say one line and you know 
you had all of those mm-hmm. special things to get where you're at, mm-hmm. but that's all that you get. To, it's it's a mind fuck well, mm-hmm. for on both sides because mm-hmm. there's somebody like to your story. There's somebody out there that's that's saying to this that Noel Wells has what I don't have, and Noel Wells has the career that I want, and how dare you know? Well, and Casey Wilson and, looks at someone and says that woman has what I have, co- and then that saying. woman looks at that that's what I'm, woman. That's the whole yeah, yeah, exactly what I'm saying. I'm like it never stops, and yeah, yeah, and so you know you look at and you know and I'm sure. Noel in the moment was like, I have one line, you know, it's, it's the, it's the moment of the, you know, and you, and the, the reality is, is like, um, I'm not happy that none of those things didn't work out for me. I can't mm-hmm. say like, good, I can only be grateful. And I, I, I see a difference in that. I can only be like, okay, that, you know, um, and I, and you can only move forward and go, okay, that didn't happen. I can sit and, you know, and be, and, and be bitter. And people love to hear the stories that, you know, when you, any, any remote SNL information Intel you have in this business, people are like, what do you know? And what is your story? And who do you know? And people love to hear that. And it's like, great. Um, and, and that's why, you know, that show wins. Cause it's like, you know, and, um, and it has been a wonderful thing. And I, and I'm very careful to, cause I do think, uh, it's a, a wonderful institution, but I also think like, it's a we have a world it's out here just, it's we not have a the whole end all thing all. and we um you never know it's like the the opportunities that i've had out after that the people that i've met and the two of you i may not i might ne- yeah. may not know and you would know each, you know and so we sort of think of it in that you know in that sort of way and it's not to be super pollyanna about it but like you know we don't know what's in store for us and that that unknowing is terrifying mm-hmm. but it's also beautiful and it's also like how exciting and it's we didn't get in to this business to be um you know nine to fivers we didn't get into the business to go okay because had my life gone according to plan when i was 22 had i had my 28 happened I would have just kept making those goals for myself throughout my life. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, so when you're 35, you'll own a house and you'll be in a relationship with a dog. And then I'd be like miserable that I didn't have that at 35 or whatever. Right. You would have right. it and, and it didn't mean anything. It doesn't mean read. anything. And, yeah. it, and it's like, so you have these things, you checked off these boxes, but who cares? Mm-hmm. Who, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. Who fucking cares? I mean, that, that idea of, you know, you're. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. It's so fucking annoying. But mm-hmm. at the same time, if I had had, you know, that big, sh- I'll just, because I already opened my mouth about it. Like if I had that big shiny success that I feel that is my impression of what Casey has, mm-hmm. that very like on TV, on billboards. Uh, <laughs> she would find this so funny right now because she'd be <laughs> her going, are you kidding me? Because it's all relative. But yeah, totally. Know, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Um, the, you know, I my dream came true. Like, I'm a working writer. Yeah. Like, I I mean, my dream for so long was just to not bartend. Like, yeah. that's how low my bar was. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I won't even dare say I want to be on Saturday Night Live. I just want to not work in a restaurant. Like, that to me <laughs> would literally be winning the lottery. And I'm actually, I'm really fucking proud to say that about As myself. As you should. Yes. You know? That is so hard. And, and that's there were, such a feat. <laughs> and there, was, there were years and years when people would say to me, you're so close. You're so close. And it would I kill me. Know. Yes. Like, 
like shut up. Me. I know. There was there was one of my like. One it's of also the, annoying because you're like, no, I'm there too. I'm 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 you know. You're like, like I get it. Right. I get it. But it's also like I hate when people say that. I mean, I know they, they it's a compliment and they mean it well, but it's the thing of like I'm doing fine now too. Mm-hmm. So quit acting like you feel sorry for where I am now, and you're just one step away from happiness and gold. And it's yeah. like I I'm happy and every I'm good now. Well, like and I, I gotta I, think about now, not tomorrow. And I definitely always made it worse than it was. You know, like I would I always felt that everyone. <sighs> This is my narcissism talking, but I always felt like everyone behind my back was like, it's so weird that she's still bartending. How sad. Oh, and that's so funny. And of course, no one's. How sad for her. Oh, we all, none of us want you to be bartending, Molly. And it was like, and that was just that voice. It is just that mm-hmm. voice. That 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 that, same voice that it's I. It's the voice that Tamika says to shut up and sit in that corner. Yeah. Because that's all it is. It's like, you know. Because nobody fucking cares. Everyone's so fucking obsessed with themselves. They mm-hmm. are like, oh, you bartend? I and, didn't notice. And that's not its not a bad thing to do that. I mean, there are people that, that are working all the time that are like, yeah, I pick up shifts and do this and that. And, and I don't look down on anybody I no, know I, that, I, that, I, I admire people. Or, I'm like, ain't no shame in that game for paying your way, man. Nope. Absolutely. And it, it is, it is uh, it ebbs and flows and there are times you need the, the, the money and it's great to have the stability of that and doing that. That is not, I don't think anything weird about it, but I know we all think about it ourselves. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. my dream was to teach improv and I've been able to do it for 10 years. I wanted to do that. It was, you know, one of my dreams. But while I was a teacher, I was like, I'm still teaching. Why am I just still teaching? You know? And I'm like, I am in a play right now where I get to play this dream role and I have moments of like, oh, I'm doing theater. Like everything feels like I'm not doing enough. And you're like, mm-hmm. remember, you love this. Yeah. Remember, this is great. Well, now is now is the gold. And it's mm-hmm. such a, um, and you do, I feel like you do have to check. It's like having career dysmorphia. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Where y- in your mind, you just have to remember that there are people that go and see your show and they're like, I would fucking die to be in this show. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. I got asked to be in the show with these people, I don't care about it, to be on this level, considered worthy. Uh, that would be such a crazy fucking milestone. And I've sat next to people in that fucking celebration theater before who are like, all they want to do is be on that stage, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's so funny how, you know, like I'm uh, working on this um, digital series right now. And there's that part of me that's like, well, of course, I only want to be doing network shows and giant studio movies. But then there's that part of me that's like, but this is par- this is part of it too. Yeah, right. this, yes. is, this is this is the one dream. of the pieces. Mm-hmm. This is and it. This is being in service to this young woman whose you know career. Like I never had anyone write me a fucking show. This bitch is lucky that I'm writing her a show. Yeah, you right, know there's right, something right. about like and also like when you're on. You know, again, if you don't, if you're not happy there, you're not going to be happy on a studio show. So you're not going to be happy a on a hundred. You're not going to be happy percent. anywhere if you're not happy now. Right? Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, and there's um yeah, it's just always easy to. But I, uh, I wanted to go back about something you said before about not getting what you wanted when you wanted it. There is something very present to me as a 39, almost 40-year-old woman to know that if I wouldn't have had to work this hard this long, I never 
would have gotten as good as I think I am now. Yeah, absolutely. I just never would have. No I was, way. I, I have been forced to be a master of my craft, mm-hmm. which if I would have gotten, if I started writing on TV shows when I was 24, maybe I would have become a master of my craft that way, or maybe I just would have written on shitty TV shows. Right. right. So now I feel like I have this ability and this real superpower to write certain things that I just never would have I never would have yeah if I had and gotten your, and your path is yours mm-hmm. I mean that's and there's nobody else is going to have the same the same life and that's the other thing too to realize that like I am not in competition I am unique I am me no one else you know it, and it's a it's a lonely but also beautiful and important journey mm-hmm. to, to go on your- alone What's your number one biggest dream in this moment? Like, what it career wise as an actress, what would be your sort of end all be all right now? Um, to be a showrunner on my own show. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm that more you star on. I don't necessarily have to star on it. It would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go out and tell stories that I want to tell. Um, Is there and, one that you're passionate about telling? I have I have many. Okay. Um, and there's a web series that I started writing eight years ago. <laughs> I just need to push past whatever I have currently blocking me mm-hmm. and, and do it. And I think there's a little fear behind it because it's the first big project that I wrote by myself. I've always had a ghostwriter or a co-writer. And so it's a web series and it's funny and it's kind of like Clue, but turned on its head. Oh, fun. So um, it's a whodunit, but in the whodunit, not only do you know who 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 did it? Who not only do you know who not did it, but you don't know who was done. So uh, you don't know who was shot or murdered. But you do know who the killer was. No. Oh, you don't know either. You don't know either. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of the twist mm-hmm. to it. Um, but the compelling part of it is that all of my stories weirdly has some sort of therapy therapist in it and I think that's something indicative in me like I need to go to therapy (laughs) Uh, but practically all the stories I write the show is your therapy yeah like actually writing it and getting that out is is definitely because that's so how I exercise demons yeah and I I should go to therapy too but instead I Write. You don't go to therapy? No, I don't. I should. But sometimes but writing I do this. Is, I mean, this really yes, feels this like is, therapy. This is therapy. And I realized but that I know that I particular <laughs> show, um, it will, because at first it just felt like entertainment. Um, and I felt like it didn't have a why. And one night, in the middle of the night, I had a revelation of... I can use this to talk about depression and Mm. sadness and Mm -hmm. the things that we go through that we're afraid to talk about and we don't want to talk about, but do it in a comedic way that will make people more open to talking about it. It was weird Mm. because I was just like, why can't I finish this? What is what is wrong with me? And I kept asking. I kept praying. I kept asking help me find the why because mm-hmm. I want to do this but it just feels so empty it mm-hmm. feels like it had no why mm-hmm. besides just making people laugh which is fine but 
Oh, but making people laugh can really make them think and make right. them open and make them heal. And that's therapeutic, re- too. Oh, absolutely. It's a great way of, I mean, to me, it's like, oh, we forget that. Yes. We, we, we think, we, we think oh, we're just doing stupid comedy. And we're like, oh, people really need it. And people connect and see themselves in that. And they can, mm-hmm. they really, that's that's wonderful. Yeah. So being yeah. a showrunner. What's, yeah. what's yours right now? Yeah, Jer. I have always said I want to be creative forever, and I love doing lots of different things. But I really do think my uh, my um, my goal is to be number three on a call sheet on a show. Yeah, not number one. I <laughs> want to be number three. Um, That's so funny. When I was in, uh, do you know what I mean by that? It's like, yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I totally. just I want those role, great supporting role. That's just the the best, most fun part. You want to be Jack Melon um, Grace? Yeah, I was thinking yeah, the sure. same thing. That's really what I want to do. Um, it's hard. I mean, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm doing a this play in a 47 seat theater, and I'm yeah. having the best time. But and I, this is a dream role that I'm playing right now. It really is. It's the greatest parts I've ever gotten You're to play. You're brilliant in it. Well, thank you, honey. <laughs> thank you. But I don't love being the lead, despite all these great things. I don't like being. I, there's a lot of pressure on that, and there's a lot of that I put on myself right. that I know, you know, an expectation, and you know, um, that I that I ultimately I, I've seen enough of it, and I've had friends that have had their own TV shows, and I'm like. I don't know. I would do it. I'd be happy to do it. But I'm also like, I would love to just be that guy that works in everything that just kind of pops in and out. And uh, and also getting to write and create on the side and do theater on the side and not feel so beholden to being, you know, uh, I don't need my name on the, in the title of a show that I'm starring in. And I and I've and I really think that's what I want more than, you know, more than anything is to have a great role and a great project and. That I'm not like uh, spearheading TV. Um, not exclusively TV because I love independent films too. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. theater and I love small movies. I love these choice. Ro- I would love to have. I've always said uh, I've, for years. I've said I've wanted John C. Riley's career. You know, <gasps> and that's the sort of thing that I've always wanted. I'm like, I want to be able to do everything to pop in and that, and then do a big. Huge blockbuster. I won one a year, and then do like do like theater on the side, and then do Tim and Eric's show, and do like Weird Adult Swim, you know, um, shows and whatever, and just be just be a part of the community and working At constantly. Large, yeah. yeah. What about you, Molly? I feel like in TV land, I love the idea of being somebody's Jenny Connor. Mm. Like I would love to. Um, find that young voice that is like a talent, like a, you know, what I think is so genius about Lena Dunham. I don't give a fuck if you like her or not, but like what is so genius about her uh, and her talent specifically was her ability to um, make out make art out of what she was going through as she was going through it, mm-hmm. which I mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, looking back, like. You know, she was so young when she made Tiny Furniture. Yeah. She was mm-hmm. so young mm-hmm. when she started Girls. And to be that, I feel like I've had, like, I think I'm a great fairy godmother. Like, mm-hmm. I think I would, in that TV space, to say, to be of service to a bigger story, uh, to be able to say, okay, you've got all this fucking great stuff. I know how to make it work. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you really, do. You have, you you have do. an incredible ability. You do that for me. Yeah. At my show, you know how to do that, and you know, you have a very, you're, you have a great ability. You've, you've also taught a lot and and, and worked with a lot of um, writers, and you know how to f- zero in on their voice and know how I'm going to make your voice better. Well, and that's what that's what was so fun about 
working with you on Bright Colors, Bold Patterns is because you also knew your voice so well and it made it so fun and easy for me to like take it and run with it. And then there's the added thing of, and then when I'm watching you do it, this is such a fucked up thing to say, but like I have no jealousy. I have no sense of competition (laughs) because there's that feeling of, oh, I always had a sense of pride watching that show because it was... I mean, I'm proud of you in that show. I really am. But there's that feeling, and it's not like, oh... I helped craft that punchline. It was just more, it was a, there was so much satisfaction out of when someone really follows through on fulfilling their potential Mm. and you can help them be a part of that. You know, one of my favorite things, my favorite compliment that people give you behind your back about that show was, oh, I didn't know Drew had that in him. Like, I didn't Mm. know, like, that, that, um, it was so nice to see that other side of Drew, which to me, knowing you now, is more you than <laughs> yeah. some of the like <laughs> any of the wigs I've ever yeah, worn. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. there's there 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 was something so there, like you mind, and I and I yeah I loved having those conversations and even working with you on that. You made me think. I remember. When you said, I'll never fucking forget this. We were sitting in my living room. Your back was to the windows and I was facing uh-huh. you. And it, we were going through your script. And you, one of the things in that uh, show is the idea that you're like, I don't, the character, the idea of like, I don't think gay should get married. We are special. We have this alternative lifestyle. We, like we, this, you know, why try to be like an as like yeah why try to be like why try to be like everybody else but just the basic for you out of your as a gay man in Los Angeles to say the words I don't think we should be doing this when all of us are trying all of these like allies are trying to be supportive and we're screaming about Prop 8 and we're showing up to marches which is incredibly important and lovely and wonderful of course yes and I was like wait I don't understand I thought but but what about healthcare but what about this and you're like yeah I know I know, I know, I know about the civil rights, but it just, it's so, it was so fucking rad to like be able to dive into someone else's true and fearless point of view Mm. and like mind that and Mm -hmm. having the ability. I'm also, I'm so fucking (laughs) self-conscious that I don't think I could, I don't know that I, I can do what Lena Dunham did. And I like the idea of like being the person in charge of helping that other person. Mm -hmm. I would love to do that. And I also, I just want to write... Like, there's also that part of me that just wants to write like a couple of giant movies like Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> I just want to. That's so. Yeah, you know, yeah. You will. I just want to have so like your future two to yeah. or three completely un-Oscar worthy giant films. Like you know, it's like there's... But Devil Wears Prada is an amazing. You know, yeah. yeah. And it's like that you you have that in you, and yeah. you can write that movie that everyone loves. Bridesmaids. And I want. It's absolutely. Feel, you know? I feel like it's like yeah. Who doesn't want to write bridesmaids? And I'm like yeah. no 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 no. No, I you can really want to write really, <laughs> yeah. And you can really do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah you exactly. Should. All right, we are way out of time. We've gone oh. way over, but I've loved talking to you both. This has been yeah, so fun. This so has been truly fun. therapeutic today. Yeah. yeah, I would flew by, and I want to thank you both. I want to thank, thank you. Um, Casey Wilson for <laughs> being an inspiration. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and um, yeah. So just tell that voice to, to fuck off and Wait, sit down. Say? What did you say? Hey, you you can do it better her, than me. Tell her ass to get in a corner and go sit about thinking what she done. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I want to thank Tamika Sokins and Molly Prather. Thank you so much. Thank have, you, a gr- have a great week. Bye. Bye. Bye.